The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I'm Kareen Eldor. Ever feel like you're playing small? Well, turn up the volume on my podcast, Share a Voice. Every Thursday, I sit down with the wave makers and game changers on everyone's radar. I'll be sharing inspo and takeaways based on my conversations with disruptors, visionaries, and compelling creatives about how they express themselves in their work. Prepare for tons of mic drop moments and subscribe so that you catch every soundbite. I'm fascinated by the power of feeling heard and taking up space. And I'm amped up about sharing these conversations with you. I'm Dr. Deepika Chopra, the Optimism Doctor, and this is Looking Up, a place where you can expect to find raw, transparent storytelling. Listen in to learn real science-based techniques to cultivate more optimism, resiliency, and authentic joy from artists, athletes, experts, and many more. Have you guys ever heard of the term gaslighting before? Well, today's guest is going to help us work through what gaslighting is and how detrimental and widespread it really is. Looking Up's guest this week is none other than Jamila Jamil. I've had the utmost honor and pleasure of sitting down and chatting with her for three different interviews. One for the RAPS Power Woman Summit, once as a guest most recently on her podcast, I Way, which I highly recommend you guys all listening to. And right now, right here on Looking Up, Jamila Jamil is a -a one-of-a-kind multi-hyphenate. You may have seen her starring on the Golden Globe-nominated series for NBC, The Good Place, or as the host of the TBS late-night game show, The Misery Index. She was also cast on the Disney series, Mira, Royal Detective. But perhaps most importantly is Jamila's work as an advocate and activist. Jamila launched a movement and a social media platform, iWay, which encourages advocacy across so many important issues. The movement has gone viral and has been an important resource for mental health and body positivity, even working on getting bills to Congress. What many people may not know about Jamila is that being bullied as a child helped make her stronger in her career when dealing with gaslighting and toxic and twisted tabloid headlines, often used for clickbait. She shares with us how this actually works. She educates us on how to look beyond the headlines, how therapy has helped her deal with trauma, the detriment of setting unrealistic standards for public figures, the double standards of how women versus men are treated by the media, the beauty standards that are deeply rooted in white supremacy and racially insensitive, why mistakes are important and how we can grow from them, how she rediscovered her worth in deserving optimism, and actually demands it by taking action and making real positive change. She even tells us what she deems as her biggest mistake and source of growth. Jamila is an extraordinary example of resilience and optimism, overcoming trials and tribulations, and advocating, starting conversations, and fighting for what's right, settling for nothing less. The way that I like to begin the Looking Up podcast is with this little section that I like to sort of call Looking In. Okay. And it's basically just a series of rapid fire style questions, you know, not too much thought, first thing that comes to your mind. So Jamila, is there a book that you have read that has actually changed the way in which you live your life? And if so, please share. There is a book called The Yes Man by Danny Wallace, which has changed the way that I live my life. I read it 
just before I turned 20, I think. And it was about a man who was in a slump in his life who decided to start saying yes to everything pretty much in order to try and turn his life around and experience some adventure. And he chronicles those adventures in this extraordinary and hilarious book that made me want to start saying yes to everything. And so I said yes to almost everything. Uh, anything that wasn't dangerous or anything that involved my asshole, I said no to. But other than that, I said yes to everything. And my life and all this adventure and all these new careers and industries opened up to me that I would never have experienced had I not read this book. Because you know, women in particular are fear-mongered around finding out who we really are. We're told just to stick to what the few things that we can do. And so we never get to find these different facets of our personality or these different skills that we didn't even know we had because we're discouraged from even ever discovering them. And so this book helped me. Okay. People think I'm blank, but I'm actually blank. People think I care, but I actually don't (laughs) regarding (laughs) uh, what their opinion is of me. Uh, I think people have this idea that I'm like Tahani from The Good Place and I'm very consumed with public opinion, whereas actually I don't give a shit. Uh, I never have. I never will. Um, I would always like to be respectful and as careful as I can be uh, to the best of my knowledge at that time. But I don't have a desire to be believed or understood or respected or approved of. And so that's something that I think people don't realize about me. Which, by the way, is actually super healthy. So congratulations. Oh, thanks. And I'm sure that came with trial and tribulation and hard work, maybe. I'm, I'm guessing. I don't know. Because that's not actually natural. Like We have to at least work on that. I know for me, I've had certain experiences where I just wish... I was more like that and I really strive to be more like that. Mm. But also I feel you're in a position where that where where something along those lines of people having opinions of you all the time is obviously so much more prevalent and it's like you have like it's survival. Uh, I don't know. Like it's I had it before I entered this industry really. I I don't think it is natural. I think it's natural to not be consumed with other people's opinions of you. I think we, you know, I think Louise May or someone once wrote about the fact that we're perfect when we're born because we aren't self-conscious and we love our bodies and we have no problem in telling people what our needs are. We say, I'm lonely. We cry when we're lonely. We cry when we want to be hugged. We cry when we need to take a shit. Like we just, we are not embarrassed of any of our normal human emotions. We feel very entitled to whatever it is that we feel. We are, I think it's nurture that forces us to feel, especially women in particular, to feel as though we must be liked, we must never fail, we must never falter. Otherwise, we'll be cast back into the shadow where we belong. And so I think for me, it was school and just kind of already being a bit of an oddball and being quite a sick child, so missing out on a lot of school and therefore uh, missing out on a lot of social cues and just being a bit of a weirdo and, and sort of underdeveloped socially and yet also overdeveloped in life experience at such a young age that... I just couldn't relate to anyone my own age. And so uh, I think being bullied at school was weirdly an amazing training for being a famous woman because it doesn't feel any different once you become famous. It feels exactly like being ostracized at school. Yeah, so that learned, that's totally exactly. Like as an adult, it doesn't feel after all the the sort of learning that goes on after obviously coming out as an infant, which I can absolutely see firsthand. That's so true. Whatever a, a baby's needs are, they're totally met and they're not embarrassed and they can't be embarrassed. It's, it's, it's actually na- 
natural to ask for it. Yeah. With a cry or, you know, I need this. I I'm hot. I'm cold. I pooped, change my diaper. Mm -hmm. I want to play. I want to go to sleep. You know, all these things that you're right. And then through learning, I think many of us start to get shameful or embarrassed about asking and putting our needs out there and sort of, yes, like, like wanting so badly for people to approve of us. But that training that, that you talk about in being bullied, that's so interesting. And that's something that you've, it sounds like taken sort of a shitty thing, but it actually became something that trained you and trained you for exactly the position that you're in now. And it sort of had a silver lining. Yeah, I'm like the Terminator now, but it definitely wasn't like forged (laughs) in a kind of elegant and peaceful way. It was, Mm. it's very, very upsetting being bullied and ostracized as a kid, but it did kind of make me almost like a lab invented uh, (laughs) crash test dummy for this industry, for being a very, very public woman with a very, very opinionated and big mouth. Um, And so I now can withstand all the pushback that comes from that, all the ways in which my word was twisted. You know, just this morning, I was reading all these headlines about me that are just so incorrect that it blows my mind where far right wing media have written a headline that says, killing my baby made my life a million times better. And they were referring to my saying, having an abortion made myself, and using the term a million times better, was hyperbole that I said on a podcast where I was talking about the fact that I was highly mentally ill when I had an abortion. And, and as in like, I knew I couldn't have a baby at that <sighs> time because I was so, I was so disturbed, so unhappy. It wasn't the right time in my life. It was hugely inconvenient. It wouldn't have been good for any child. It wouldn't have been good for me. My, my health was really bad at the time. And so I did it not because I was a victim of sexual assault or because it was an incest case. It was just, I was a woman in my mid-twenties who couldn't cope, who therefore didn't want a baby. I never said killing my baby. They've just put that word, those words into a headline. Like, how is this legal that you can just put that? I've never said those words. I just said having an abortion made my life a million times better. And they quickly only put a million times better in quotation marks, but they just freely put killing my baby. They didn't even say Jamila Jamil says killing her baby. It's just, I've never said the words killing a baby because it's just a removal of cells at that point. So it's just like, you know, I, it's mind blowing. I mean, I I actually want to talk to you about this because this is something that you educate so many people on, not just about your own life and the way that the media twists and turns and makes up words and and to their own benefit Mm -hmm. to make these shocking headlines, but also you help dissect how they do this to other people as well, which... I want to get through the rapid questions, but this is just so, so much more interesting right now because I want to talk to you about this. You know, I, I've kind of been following along and even after the first time we got to chat, which, which was for the rap, I feel like a ton of media, even headlines, I was shocked and surprised. And I'm sure you're not because this is something that is very prevalent for you mm-hmm. and you've been dissecting this and, and it's been happening to you because I do feel that that's something that's happening to someone. Yeah. Like they're, it's, it's intentional. But even from our conversation, I feel like things were taken from what you said and headlines were made like you were done with acting. I know. (laughs) Or like, I don't know, like so many weird things came from that. Or like, I don't even remember what some of the stuff that that we talked about, but I remember the next day reading some of the headlines and being like, well, that's not really what was said at all. No, I know. Um, But I can see how that would sell a paper. Yeah, they said that I was talking about the fact that I wanted to quit. At 26, I, I 
wanted to, when I was 28, maybe I wanted to leave television and that I wanted to just give up and just become a writer and a DJ. And I did that. I moved to another country and gave up television. And my telling that old story, they decided to write as if it's present tense and say, Jamila Jamil is done with, like, like doesn't want to be famous anymore because I'd said that at 26, I said, I don't want to be famous anymore because I was being bullied by the media when I was 26. And so I quit for a couple of years. And then I came back as an actress unexpectedly because of a a fluke audition. But to, to write that as if I'm saying it now perfectly contradicts all of my behavior. Now I have a large online following, like I've created a podcast. So it just makes me look like a hypocritical, hyperbolic, just sort of inconsistent liar. Which is what the media wants to do. You can't take something that someone said. Yeah, if if I said, if I tell a story in a podcast about the fact that I wanted to be a spaceman when I was six years old, you can't just (laughs) use that as a headline now. And, you know, so it's just like, it's just everything, everything I say gets twisted. Everything I do gets twisted. If you had said at 26, you wanted to be a spaceman, I'm guessing you'd been like, the headline would have been like, Jamila Jamil goes to NASA to become an astronaut. Yeah, Jamila Jamil's heading Which, by the way, would be cool. Yeah, but you know, I like, you know, I've had a lot of ambitions in my life. And if I talk about them from the past, it doesn't mean I want them now. Uh, And it's just amazing that they can just change the tense to to what they're trying. And what they, they, the reason they do this is to drive me insane, right? They're doing it because they're saying that every time you speak, we're going to twist it, take it as far out of context as possible. So you may as well stop speaking, little girl, because nothing you say is ever going to be transmitted. Yeah, they want me to give up. Because they, they can't do what they used to do, which is just literally silence a woman by getting rid of her, killing her. She's a mis- mystery car accident or a mystery overdose. Like it's you know, times have evolved over the past you know five decades where they they can't lock you up anymore for having different opinions. The kind of things that women used to be locked into mental institutions, mental institutions for, uh, you know, I would have been locked up long ago just for having a different opinion or being queer or all these different things. Uh, and so, because they can no longer lock us up, they make us silence ourselves by just sort of harassing us into submission. And so that's why I refuse to do it because like, I don't really give a shit about anyone else's opinion. I'm also fine to not be in this industry anymore. If I get run out of town, I have plenty of other skills (laughs) that I can go and use. And the other one, I didn't always used to be an entertainer. I can go and do something else. And by the way, anyone listening right now that is in media or not, she just said that she would be fine if she was run out of town, (laughs) not to be in the industry, not that she doesn't want to be in the industry and that she is quitting. Yeah, I know. But it's just that it's just, there's no point they do it deliberately it's a game to just be like shit she's calling us out we need to get rid of her let's just exhaust her till she gives up and so therefore I've never been partial to doing what is expected of me and so therefore now they've only made me want to rebel more so it's backfiring how tough is that for colleagues of yours or people that you know in the industry that maybe don't have that sort of I don't give a shit attitude and they really like how how hard is that on mental health? Really hard. Um, I have countless, countless people reach out to me, people far more famous than I am, and tell me that they have all these stories they want to tell, but they're too afraid because of the way the tabloids will attack them, or they had an experience with starting to speak out. They were attacked by the media, slut-shamed by the media, or, you know, made out to be mentally unstable by the media and therefore have stopped talking. And now this important conversation isn't being had anymore. And I'm not one to tell anyone just to sacrifice their mental health for the benefit of any greater good. I'm just someone who has had loads of trauma therapy. I use EMDR therapy and 
because of that therapy, I feel hardened and quite detached from a lot of my old traumas. So I don't feel re-traumatized when people try to gaslight or harm me. And therefore I am specifically built to do this. But I do feel that if we all, as in all women, were to make an agreement where we would all start to resist together, resist and then persist, persist in our resistance. Because what we do is we resist and then we get a backlash and then we naturally want to run away and go back into the shadows because we've also been taught that our only value is in being approved of both aesthetically and who we are internally. And so if we fail at that, then we failed at life and we should leave. I think if we no longer carry that belief system and if we start to think like men do, you know, like someone like all of the men who got disgraced, but not fully jailed during the Me Too scandal, they just carried on. They kept going. They're still working. Emile Hirsch, Shia LaBeouf, like Casey Affleck, these people haven't completely disappeared the way women would do for half the amount of things that they were accused of doing. So we just have to carry on the way that they do. And if we carry on, but obviously are more accountable and less harmful than they are, then I think that we could end up really making a change. It's definitely difficult. And there have been days where I've wanted to quit. But overall, I would say I'm a much happier and stronger person for getting shit off my chest. But again, I don't think I could have done that without extreme trauma therapy. And I think everyone should try to access some sort of mental health care before they take up any kind of resistance because the backlash against you is incredibly intense. It's not impossible to withstand. I have a great life, but it's definitely important that you don't sacrifice yourself because you're no good to anyone dead. And so it's very important to make sure that you have a support system when you take this on. I'm very privileged in that I can have therapy and I have a stable home life. Absolutely. I mean, even uh, on such a small level. I mean, it was a big deal to me, but I, I, I'm on, on a much more um, small level. I'm, you know, someone that studies self-growth and optimism yeah. and resiliency and all these things. And, and I had a, a brief encounter with, and I think I shared this with you, you on something, I don't remember what, but like with mom shaming and it, it ended up being a positive turnout because the, the person that that was instigating the mom shaming and took it to a crazy level. She reached out to me and actually showed her face to me and um, said it was it was me because she was anonymous before yeah. and said she took it down and really understood once she saw how badly my feelings were hurt. But like for three days, I mean, I was I was really crushed. Yeah. I couldn't even. I, I cried. I, my feelings were hurt. I felt very like that, that thing that you talk about where I felt like I just wanted to close up and be like, why am I sharing anything? And like, there's a lot of stuff that I feel passionate about sharing and, and expertise and tips. And, and, and most of it is just free and, and, you know, even the podcast and stuff like that. And it just, it, it was this like, very, like, like you said, wanting to go into the shadows and feeling like, what is the point? And I don't want to be exposed and it's too scary and my feelings are hurt now. That's the design of patriarchy. That's the template of patriarchy. That's that, That's what they, that's the exact feeling they want us to have. That is the exact action they want us to take. And I think in knowing that, that's why I don't participate in it. And it was so interesting because the men in my life who love me completely and are so supportive at first, we're like, you know what? Just like ignore it. Yeah. Just avoid it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and even like, maybe you shouldn't share so much like that. And, and I know they're coming from a yeah. place of, these are people that love the shit out of me and support right. me through everything. But I didn't feel right about that. And I'm much more of an open, I'm a sharer. And so I went on 
to whatever my platform was. And I literally was just raw about the whole experience, about how it made me feel. I am pretty sure I was crying through it. And because of that experience, that that person saw it. And a lot of change was made just from that one thing. She took it down on this crazy, I didn't even know these Facebook groups existed where she like took screenshots, you know, without my permission of me, my child, my, my, you know, very small baby and had plastered them all over for thousands and thousands of people to see and like critic critique for sure. you know, my parenting style. And she ended up like not only taking it down, but also like removing herself from that group and agreeing that it was quite toxic. And so I, you know, not that I'm being critical of the people in my life that told me to just avoid, but it is interesting that their initial gut reaction was not like be open about it and sort of share how you feel and don't hide in the shadows, but go into the light. And so I'm glad that my gut and and, and intuition told me to. It was more like, it was almost like having like an itch, like my skin was crawling like before I, I couldn't, mm-hmm. like I was sweating and my skin was crawling and nothing was going to relieve that until I was open and transparent about what was happening. Cause I just like, I just don't have that in me to kind of, to avoid, let's say. Yeah. And it's important that we don't, it's important that we, we carry on, you know, as you and I were, you and I once said together on a podcast, it was like our brains merged. It was the very first time we met. And I was like, and, and, you anticipated where I was going. We were talking about, I, I said, I don't want to fuck off. And then you were like, we should fuck on. <laughs> yes, <laughs> frame, we should fuck uh, on. Yeah. Yes. Just sort of became yes. one in that moment. And I was like, she fucking gets it. She knows what I'm talking about because I've been, I've been talking about persistence for such a long time. And like the interesting thing was not just in that experience, not just was it, also cathartic for me to like share and put it out there, but it also gave this person a chance to change. Yeah, And it gave this person, like I didn't then reshame her. I didn't release any information about her after she came, you know, I just, and I wasn't, you know, I was just sharing my own experience about how awful it was and how it made me feel and how this really needed to stop and, and that like call it what it was. It was absolute shaming and it was toxic and horrible. And some of the comments that, you know, she instigated other people to say were like, she doesn't deserve a baby. You know, these were like horrible things from literally a picture of my baby sleeping on me, <laughs> like having skin to skin contact with me. But anyway, that's a whole different thing. But the point is that that whole experience actually gave her a chance to see it in a different way and make a real change. And hopefully that this, that experience has continued in her own life to not do that again. Maybe. One would hope. I hope I hope people have learned from that. I do think that there is less sympathy, understandably, the more privileged you are. Like the more known you are, the more wealthy Absolutely. you appear to be, the more glamorously you are presented on big red carpets, et cetera. And yes, so I, I don't think that the same sympathy or understanding gets afforded to those of us in the public space, but I don't mind that so much. I feel two ways about it. I think two things can be true at the same time. I, I do think that we are in a position where we deserve less sympathy and we must be more responsible and accountable than other people. Mm. But at the same time, mm-hmm. as we've seen with Lindsay Lohan and Amanda Bynes and Britney Spears, especially in that recent documentary, there are also human beings uh, who didn't expect any of this. Like no one, right? very few people who plan on this ever actually get it. It often is just someone who gets plucked from obscurity and chosen by the media, chosen by the people the people make or break a star, people elevate this person and then kind of, you know, 
where religion no longer has taken hold of America, we've replaced deities with celebrities. And yes. so we kind of deify these, in particular, women, and we hold them to these perfect saint-like standards. And that is a very high pedestal for often very young and inexperienced and detached people to fall from. I always say that the pedestal is more of a trap door into a gutter. And so, you know, at the same time, the problem with dehumanizing and abusing and belittling celebrities is that kids are watching. Yes, of course, we should care about that one individual, but also what vernacular are we unleashing into the world? What mindset? How are we shaming people about their mental health? That, you know, we saw Britney right. Spears shaving her head, crying at yes. tables, being hounded almost to death. And we were laughing at her. Perez Hilton right. apparently made uh, merchandise that said it should have been Britney when Heath Ledger killed himself. The dehumanization of that, like the blaming of her behavior rather than like, oh, I wonder why this like 25-year-old has all this great stuff to live for is acting out like this. I wonder if it's because she can't cope under these inhuman conditions. I wonder what she needs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that question rather than, yeah, watching that documentary, I watched it too a few nights ago and it was was harrowing. And it was like, you can just the theme of mental health and how absolutely disregarded it was and 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 sort of vilified in a way that it became material even for like the talk show hosts i saw like late night they included you know like she was the butt of every joke when literally she should have been yeah. you know the there was a, she was in enough public light that enough people should have it should have been the opposite where she was in everybody's thoughts and interest of like what is it that she's going through how can we help her what does she need what is she going through and and I think like even now I, I don't think anything is perfect now but now the narrative of mental health is even so much more different than it was just a handful of years ago but still it's still not where it needs to go so at all like mental health is still absolutely stigmatized but like that just seeing that snapshot and something for you know my age who who I'm around the same age, like just a, that was just a number of years ago and how like none of this was in our vocabulary. No. And it was just We really horrible. didn't. We didn't understand. We didn't try to understand and we shamed the victims of mental health issues. And so that, that, that then stigmatizes mental health. You know, if we, if we belittle and make fun of, of prominent trans people in the world, then that spills out onto the lesser protected even trans people, trans kids who are in schools. It's the same thing with homophobia. It's the same thing with slut shaming. Like all of these different things, they bleed out into our society. When we take women and we shame them and we blame them and we harm them and we leak their nude photographs, that bleeds into high schools where you have much lesser protected, much younger, less prepared people having their, you know, revenge porn leaked and they're being bullied and then being slut shamed and rumors being spread about them in a dehumanizing way. And so, so there is something to be said for our care in how we treat in any individual in a public sphere because of how involved in pop culture kids are. You just a bit ago brought up, you know, you believe that you can have two differing, you know, opinions or feelings at the very same time. And which is, by the way, absolutely true of all of us humans. Mm -hmm. And the quicker we all get to realize that, the healthier from a mental health standpoint, we all will be in the way we'll treat each other. But, um, you know, with the the people in in the public eye, like in watching that documentary, I just found it so absurd that the, you know, some of the paparazzi that were interviewed were just like, 
they couldn't get it through their minds that just because some of her success, you know, he, they thought it was like a partnership. Well, she is who she is because we made her this way. So like, how can you want that and be okay with it and be friendly with us when things are going well? And then when you don't want us to cover you, like shy away, of course we could, like a person in the public eye can absolutely love aspects of paparazzi and absolutely hate abscess too. Look, we don't subject men to this all or nothing mentality. We generally no. respect men's privacy and men's journeys right. and men's mistakes and, you know, progress much more. When a man fucks up, he goes away for a year and he goes to rehab and he comes back and he does a very broody photo shoot in GQ, uh, lots of black and white photographs, looking very pensive and he gives a thoughtful, clearly well-quoted and well-crafted interview about how he's grown and what he's learned from his mistakes. And we commend him for all of his growth and his openness and his making the effort to go to rehab. We really just like big men up for the bare minimum. But a woman is never even given that comeback interview. A woman is never congratulated for having gone to rehab and sorted her life out and coming back and telling people her workings out. A, if she's even welcomed back or even has the stomach to go back in the first place, that's a miracle. But second of all, no one ever congratulates her. They just keep bringing up her mistakes. Right. It's, it's, I, I was talking about it in an interview just the other day. I was being interviewed in a magazine and I think they brought up, you know, again, some of my controversies from like eight years ago. And I'm just like, I spoke in Congress last year. Yeah, talk about that. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the important cool shit that I'm doing now rather than rehashing things I've already spoken about in 10,000 interviews over the last eight years. Like, what is this obsession with, but what about that mistake that you made? Or what about that time that, that you were in controversy? When do we ever celebrate the amazing things that women participate in that my, that my community, Iway community, like what they're doing that's helping other people in the world, like how we're growing and we're this incredibly wholesome movement of people who genuinely love each other, like almost one and a half million people who just want to help ourselves and each other. It's cool. Let's talk about that. But no, much better to just keep slapping someone over the wrist until their hand falls off. I mean, that's so true. And that kind of brings me to... I still want to get through my my rapid fire oh, sorry, yeah. questions, but I'm not even going there yet. But what are you most proud of? I'm most proud of my... I, I'm most proud of my iWay company, my community. Like it's, there's only two of us who create the company, who run the company together. People think I have this whole team. I don't. If I did, I would make far less mistakes. But you know, we have three bills that we are currently working towards, one that we got into Congress and we're hoping to take to the Supreme Court, like to be able to legislate uh, how careful schools should be around weight stigma and not weighing children and not like encouraging or participating in any kind of bullying around weight and, and raising awareness around the fact that eating disorders are the number one cause of death of any mental illness and the fact that children as young as four are now being diagnosed with eating disorders and body dysmorphia and that we're seeing the rates triple in teen suicide, teen self-harm, teen cosmetic surgery, teen eating disorders. So it's just a really cool thing to be part of. And then we're also trying to trying to get detox and diet products that are unregulated, impossible for minors to get hold of over the internet or on, you know, uh, or over the counter, because these things contain uh, toxic heavy metals, uh, amphetamines, which is like speed, boys, mm -hmm. muscle gain products, or just muscle gain products tend to uh, have Viagra in them a lot of the time. Girls, or traditionally marketed at girls, weight loss products are full of laxatives, which are debilitating for the digestive system. So, uh, and then we're also working on another bill that would incentivize via taxes companies to stop using airbrushing because we are seeing statistical evidence of the detrimental impact that airbrushing has on our neurological perception of ourselves 
and each other. Absolutely. I just saw this Instagram filter yesterday, actually, that was like reality versus filter. And I like used it on myself and it was absolutely insane. And like for a moment, my brain was like, oh yeah, that that thing on the left, like that looks really good. Like, and then like all of a sudden it comes on the right, like the reality and it's just like, but then you're like, no, no, no. The first one looks absolutely horrible. I look like an alien, but it's just like trips you. Like if you can imagine someone that even for that moment, which I feel that I am pretty, I have a lot of resources. You're also a very, like you're a very conventionally beautiful woman. So like if you're having that struggle, can you imagine what anyone else is going through? Have you seen these games that now exist now? They're advertised every five seconds everywhere on on all these different apps and on all these different media websites. You get interrupted with a compulsory advert that you can't opt out of where you have a, a girl and she wants to get the guy and she's balding and covered in body hair and she's got acne what? and she's maybe bigger in the waist than she is in the rest of her body. And you're supposed to give her a makeover, which means making her thinner, replacing her bald patch, clearing her skin. <gasps> this is a, this is a, these are games that are cropping up everywhere. And I what? tweeted just to I find out. Not. Yeah. I tweeted just to find out if it was just me who was seeing these. I mean, they're even on Scrabble apps, chess apps everywhere. They're preying oh on you gosh. constantly. I've never seen this before. And these are now, they're now, and you can't opt out of them. So you have to watch the whole storyline of the girl going from, ugly and rejected and even like body odor. So it's like you'll, you'll, so in the game, they make her look perfect, but she still has body odor from her armpit. So then he turns her down and she cries and he slams the door in her face. But these are actual games that are being marketed to people of all ages. Children are playing these games and these games are being advertised on children's game apps. I'm having like a really visceral reaction to this. Like I actually feel nauseous. That's horrible. I mean, I remember in undergrad, you know, in sociology classes at UCLA, we, you know, it was a big part of our curriculum to study, you know, the the sort of construct of beauty and all the things that were happening yeah. in magazines and stuff. And like, it's only gotten a hundred times worse, sure. which is absolutely, it's, it, it is, I don't even know what to say, but it makes me feel really, really, really awful about humankind. Yeah, but the fact that terrifying. that was such a big deal then, and you would think that we would have had progress, but it's been, it's completely worse. Like, what are these games? They're That's all insane. made by men who hate women. The I mean, it's are run by hate, by insane. men that hate women. There's a, a very famous publication, which for legal reasons, I won't reveal what it is, but the editor is a man and they refer to the morning meetings as the vagina monologues because he refers to every female celebrity as a cunt. (gasps) And that's a man who's at the the head of a company that is marketed predominantly to to women. Because women are mostly the consumers, sadly, of tabloid media and they are the subject of tabloid media. And every time that we click on tabloid media, every time we we forward it, engage with it, give it our algorithm, give it our dollars or our cents or our pennies, we are funding, directly funding patriarchy. I mean, I think that partly I'm like shocked that this, everything you're saying is actually happening, but I'm also partly shocked how like the majority of us don't even know. So like the fact that like someone like you is using their platform to actually 
educate us on these things is so important because as a woman, I'm sitting here like I yeah. want to throw up right now. Like I'm it's actually so ha- like stressful. I like I, I'm amazed I don't just break out in stress hives when I see this stuff. Like the stuff that's on TikTok. The, just the ways in which the kids are being pressured. I had such a hard time when I, when I was 12 and I used to have to go and spend like $4 to go and buy the magazine that would make me feel like shit about myself. I can't imagine having it hunt me down by an algorithm and then put on a compulsory advert that I can't even click out of. I can't get away from it. I have to watch the whole 30 second advert. 30 seconds is enough time to do significant damage to your brain. Right. It's so crazy that as a kid, these magazines would make me feel pretty shitty because there was no one in them that look like me. And I kind of was like, you know, and I also grew up in a, in, in a neighborhood that didn't really have many people that look like me. And so I think it was a really confusing. And then now it's like, even if the people look like me or they're, you know, of similar skin color or makeup, it's like, nobody looks like a real human. So like, we're all set up for this huge failure. We like scroll on Instagram and these people's bodies and their faces are just like, they're either so filtered or there's so much work that's been done that like, we can never live up to that. And so it's just like a constant, and I can only imagine the younger, you know, generation, like girls in middle school and high school. And now I'm learning actually girls in like elementary school, yeah, things that I didn't really think about much at that young age, but people are thinking about them so much more at such a earlier rate because of how much exposure there is and how quick to this advertisements and information and, and these 30 second clips that make us feel crappy that we are exposed to so easily. But it's all very, as children. it's all very deliberate, you know, cosmetic surgeons benefit. Right. from apps and filters. And um, there was the head of a huge makeup brand, one of the biggest makeup brands in history, who I think had to step down after having said this because it was received so badly by people like myself, um, where he said that he loves Facetune and all these filters and airbrushing apps because it makes women go out and buy more makeup to be able to match I, I, the, uh, the that's, edited photograph. I remember seeing something on Instagram a while back where a plastic surgeon or something, it, it was going around, was saying that the people were bringing in yeah, like teenagers were, yeah. What they do now, instead of bringing in like magazine clips of celebrities' faces like they, that they were maybe doing in the 90s and like the, the early 2000s, now it's like people are bringing in, young, young kids are bringing in like versions of themselves filtered on these like Snapchat different filters and, and yeah. saying like, right, make me look like this, like the filter. Um, it's just, I, I don't know. It's, it's. And everyone wow. looks the same. It's, like I'm in Los Angeles where more and more women every day just look like a sort of version of Angelina Jolie and Lara Croft. That sort of yeah. the aesthetic that everyone's really trying to attain, like the big plump lips, the tiny, tiny nose, the big tweety pie eyes, and then the very, very cut cheekbones. And so they're all wearing like layers and layers of contour. And it's so fucking expensive. It's so expensive, this makeup, to be able to... And, and they, you see these Instagram videos where I just sit there marveling at them, which is like one layer and then another layer and then a contour oh God, layer and yes. then a powder layer, but then a highlighter layer. And not to shame anyone, because fuck knows, I used to bake my no. face, especially in my unhappiest moments. But it was just, it's really expensive. And then it's also fucking hot as shit here. So it's just running down everyone's face. And this is sort of like Morticia Adams chic, but everyone really kind of trying to look like Angelina Jolie when she was playing a video game character. That's the aesthetic. So it's just sort of, I don't know. I think it's just same because I love, I love diversity of beauty. I love all kinds of different faces. And and I'm worried that we're going to 
lose that diversity because everyone's trying to look identical. Everyone wants to look like a doll. And and I think the magic gets lost because I love, you know, like there's this actress uh, in Call My Agent yes. who has a very pronounced large nose and they even joke about the nose on the show, but I think it's the thing that makes her the most beautiful and stand out. And I, I remember her because of her beautiful, like charismatic feature, which is her nose. Well, we're losing that sort of magic of appreciating someone for their uniqueness and their nuances, even in their personalities. Yeah. We call um, uniqueness imperfections, but, but it's not. It's uniqueness. Right. right absolutely. And, and it's interesting you bring that up because I've heard ti- like time and time again, just people talking about how attractive males are that have larger noses. I know. But like women aren't granted the same, you know, heaven forbid we have a larger nose, but men are like sexy. I've been told to have a nose job so many times. So I just, yeah. think, but it's again, like this just sort of like, we're supposed to all have this very like Eurocentric, tiny baby button nose. And yeah, those operations are really fucking painful from what I've heard from friends and they are really fucking expensive and each to their own. If you want to go do that, I don't judge you. I know that cosmetic surgery can be life-saving, especially for people within the trans community. I have no rage towards that part of the world. I'm just saying that uh, as in like towards the cosmetic surgery, you know, community. But I do think that devious tools are used to make people have it when they won't necessarily benefit from it. And it's being used in a way to make us all look exactly the same. And I think that that's really troublesome. And it's also like racially insensitive features, like a broad nose, which is very conducive to where up in the world I'm from, you know, and my skin color, I don't want my skin color to be bleached. I don't want to have a different face and body and hair to my people. I want to look like I'm from where I'm from. I don't want to look like a a palatable version of a brown person, which is really a brown brown skin tone, but not too dark with Eurocentric features. Like I'm just not interested in that. And then pick and choose what ethnic features we want, like the big lips and the now slanted eyes where people are threading their faces to make their eyes slant upwards. You know, it's just so being used and I think at quite an inappropriate and predatory way now. I was, um, as a kid, very harassed for having bigger lips. I mean, I didn't even know what half the stuff people were saying, what it meant, but I was constantly like boys saying DSL. And it wasn't like beautiful to have big lips, you know, in the media when I was a kid. And I remember begging my grandma, my nanny, to take me to the prescriptives counter because my mom would not let me wear makeup. And she's like, why do you want to go? And I was like, I just, I just want to ask them something. And I remember sitting down in the chair for the first time at the mall and saying, can you make my lips smaller? Mm-hmm. And she was like, absolutely. You need to have finer, you know, your lips should be a little finer. So she like put foundation like on half my lips and lip line like new lips and it looked absolutely ridiculous but you know I like it's sad for me to think back that like I was so sad about something about a feature that you know whether it was me growing into it myself and and sort of appreciating or or you know I have to admit was it that it became socially acceptable and actually desirable for people to have big lips because of people like Angelina Jolie they spend a lot of money first but no, I hope no. it was more the maturity in the first, but probably it was, you know, now it's, and, and and now it's like, you know, I've had people be like, you know, she has fillers. I don't even know. I, I, I don't have anything. I don't know what that is. But like, I was like, I have tried my whole life at first to get them to look smaller because people didn't like it. Yeah. And then now you have to like hide them because people think that they're fake. And it's just like, it's pretty exhausting. So getting to that point where I think it all comes down to working on having that healthier relationship 
with your own self, which by the way, is really freaking hard to do in this in 2021 Mm -hmm. (laughs) because of everything we're talking about. Mm -hmm. But, you know, having having that and working on that is just so important because you're never going to be not every, there's always going to be someone that doesn't like you. Yeah. And there's always going to be someone that thinks that your face is too big or too small or your eyes don't go up enough or that your lips are too And a lot of these beauty ideals are steeped in white supremacy, you know, like, so just be very mindful about what it is that you're buying into. It's, it's cause they, they are disturbingly racially insensitive. Okay, wait, three words to describe yourself as uh, a teenager in your high school years. Oh God, um, awkward, lonely, and goofy. That's very goofy. Mm. Still quite goofy. Mm. You are actually, yeah. I like that. <laughs> um, when's the last time you cried? Uh, last time I cried was, oh fucking hell, it was like a week ago. A celebrity posted a goodbye video to their like dying dog and I fucking lost it. Mm. I, don't, I don't know if I can handle this that people I feel it should have a sensitivity warning or something can't mm. just put up pictures of your dog's final minutes without a sensitivity warning because those of us with dogs that we're only just getting to know and falling in love with can't fucking handle it uh, you can't mm. just willy-nilly just throw up a dying video of a dog you can't do it because it will catch those of us who have to be on camera in 20 minutes time yeah. off, off uh, yeah just off guard um, but seriously I'd like put a fucking trigger warning on that shit it's, t- it's too much so that's the last time I cried. And I think I'm about to cry again this weekend when I, you know, when we see this fucking nightmare in Texas unfold. It's like the early days mm. of Katrina where no one's taking it seriously and we're about to see an unprecedented crisis, I think. Terrifying. Yeah, it but, is. Uh, just a kill um, ride before you go on to your next uh, fun, quick question. Sorry. Well, this is, this, <laughs> this will be funny to you, mm-hmm. uh, the next one, but three things that have actually brought you joy today. <laughs> Three things that brought me joy today. Uh, I had some vegan coconut rice pudding ice cream for breakfast at 7 a.m. while I was waiting for my coffee to brew. So not great for sensitive teeth, wonderful for mood. (laughs) I saw my dog this morning and uh, his endless ability to be so excited to see me as if I've been away for a month when he just hasn't seen me through the night. His his overwhelming joy and excitement just to be awake and to see me in the morning is just too much for my ego to handle. It's turning me into a monster. I'm, I think I'm going to start expecting this reaction from humans. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting to see you. That's brought me joy this morning. Me too. I was so excited about it. Same. And, and equally, I'm having so much fun, even though we're talking about things that are actually really like making me sweat and Morbid. making me angry, yeah. but they're giving me energy and like making me want to do something and take action, which... I really want to talk to you about two things. One thing I just, I want to bring up because you and I talked about this in a private conversation that was not taped. And so, but I think the way you worded it, I feel is really important. And I think a lot of people can resonate with. So I want you to kind of re-say it or have some thoughts about it. But we were talking about optimism, obviously, because that is um, what I love to talk about. And, you know, you had said something that I found so poignant and you said, well, you know, I think of optimism and especially over the past year or so as this, it's almost like, and I'm totally rephrasing this and, and may not be saying it correctly, but what it made me, what I took from it was basically that you saw it as, you know, when you're really hungry, 
you're starving and you don't eat anything. Mm-hmm. And so you re- you pass that point of hunger. So you're really just like, you, you're not hungry anymore because yeah. you just pass that point and nothing sounds good anymore. And so it's this idea that like when you're starved from hope, or optimism for so long, you kind of you stop craving it. Ha- you, 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 stop st- you stop craving it. it. I yeah. stopped craving it for a really long time, and then I kind of had a very optimistic, random, joyous two weeks at work, and was reinfused with the infectious optimism and joy of other people, and it brought back my appetite and made me realize I hadn't, I hadn't. I'd needed it for so long, but had stopped craving it because I'd been denied it for such a long time. And it just made me really start to question my relationships with the people who were around me, the people I work with, the people I, you know, I'm I'm with day to day. It made me start to ask for change in those scenarios because I'm being like, it's like having um, season affected disorder. I think they call it sad over Mm -hmm. in London. Like I feel like I I need, we need the, we need the sunlight. You know, I need that light. I need that optimism. Um, I don't want to grow accustomed to withdrawal of it ever again, because it's like, I feel like I'm 10 years younger after that two weeks. And so I, I deserve that. I need that. And I now demand it from myself and others, not in a toxic way. Everyone's allowed to have a bad fucking day or week or month or year. But I'm just saying that I think that general mentality of doom and gloom and that very British way in particular, never being able to be excited about anything, never being able to be proud of anything, never being ambitious or hopeful or or openly joyous. I I think that that's really part of why I had to leave England because, you know, I was so starved. I just love the way that you put it. And after all this time in in the work that I do, I've never heard it put that way. And I thought it was just, it like stopped me in my tracks and I thought it was so interesting. And then right now with, with you explaining it, it, it reminds me and makes me want to remind people that like, even if you have been starved from it or from happiness or joy or things that make you feel good or hope or, or whatever that is, or, or feeling like you know your strengths and that mm-hmm. you're resilient, like it can take a moment to bring it all back. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it will come back and it just takes some, it could take something so small. And it's natural to you. It'll be so easy to come back. It's way more natural than the suppression of these normal things. Again, yes. as babies, we experience joy. We experience the full spectrum of emotion minute to minute every single yes. day. That's normal. It is not normal, totally normal to be completely controlled or to feel just one overwhelming thing all of the time. It is normal and to oscillate. And that includes happiness. Yes. It's normal yes. to oscillate up and down all the time. And if you guys are listening to this and haven't listened to my, when I was lucky enough to be on Iway on Jamila's podcast, we talk all about toxic positivity yeah. and this idea of experiencing the full range of emotions. So I don't want to re-talk about it too much, even though it's something I love talking about and I could talk about every day, but you should listen to that episode because I feel like if there was a theme to it, that was probably the theme to it. And I also want to point out like you took action. So you're like, I think that's why I left England. And so like really, or even like when you started to look at the people around you and, you know, just because I love to throw in scientific tips here and there, just because I can't help myself, you know, happiness is actually proved scientifically to be contagious. And Mm -hmm. so we all sort of say that, but but it, it's actually true and it's measurable. And they say that it goes into three degrees of separation. So your friends of friends of friends, if they're happy or working on happiness or in talking about joy or or 
resiliency or or self-improvement and growth and all these things, then like you're actually more likely to be happy. So it is important to think about sort of, and oftentimes we don't have a choice. I know of some, some yeah. people, but we do have choice in sort of like- It doesn't even have to be happiness. give our energy to. It can just be a right. little bit of, you know, what did you say optimism was? Resilience and curiosity. Resiliency and curiosity. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so, you know, um, it could just be that. And the last thing that I really want to take your time with is- this idea of change. I love this about the work that you do and your personal stance on it. I couldn't agree more wholeheartedly. And I think it's something that we absolutely, again, brain melded about. But this idea that like you truly believe that people can change. And I believe that too. I mean, when there's a will and there's hard work to make it happen, it's not just something that falls into your lap. Let's make that clear. But I, I, wouldn't, I couldn't be doing what I'm doing if I didn't believe and and want to encourage people that that if they really want to they can change. And so I'm wondering from you what's something in your life that you have felt that you may have made a mistake on, you were wrong about or you know you felt like it was important to do the work and change and that you've actually actively been working on changing. So the biggest thing that I made a mistake on is thinking that other people can't change. I think that was my biggest mistake, you know, I was I used to really just dismiss people in a very, very intolerant way when I was in my early 20s, which is like 10, 12 years ago. And so I think when we think other people can't change, it's because secretly we believe we can't change because that's, that's the truth. If you believe that other people aren't capable of change, then inherently you believe that you aren't. If you are capable of change, then so are other people. And learning that and watching my own growth and change and maturity grow incrementally over the years has helped me realize that actually if I can change, I'm I'm pretty ignorant and I left school at 16 and, you know, I had a really rough upbringing. So there's a lot that I'm not very like good at socially. So if I can change and I can grow, then other people can too. And it has made me more excited for the growth of others. And it's helped me believe in them and believe in myself more. And I think that that really goes against the rhetoric of this current day and age where we really just believe if someone makes a mistake, that's it. They're branded a problem for life. And I think, as I've said before, many places that unless you've created irrevocable harm, which is harm that you really can't ever repair, I think you should be offered an opportunity to come back, be accountable, apologize and do better and help get stuck in, help fix your mistake. I don't think that we are forever branded based on mistakes that we've made in the past. And it's only been in my own journey of growth that I have been able to realize that. And so we should all just be a bit more open to global change. Otherwise, what's the point? Exactly. And also knowing that we don't know everything and being very, very okay with that. How could we? How could we? Totally, totally that. Totally that. And so, you know, there'd be no point in activism if we didn't believe in change. And so I feel like our current attitude towards old mistakes, et cetera, kind of makes the point of like, it's not activism to decide that someone can never change upon what is almost definitely an innocent mistake or a mistake born of ignorance, not deliberate evil. And so what is the point of activism if we don't believe in change? Right. Activism is the hope for change. It's the action for change. If we don't believe that change is possible, what are we doing? 
Absolutely. And and there is, you know, I recorded an episode with a friend of mine, Sophia Bush, in one of the earlier seasons, and we talked a lot about this. And I firmly believe that their like optimism goes hand in hand with activism. Like there, exactly. You can't, what is activism without optimism? Yeah, there is no, there is no activism without optimism. No, there's literally no point. Then you're just, you know, that's, it's what Shay Yekawewa says, that then your activism is trauma-led and not trauma-informed. Yes. And that's never a so good true. thing. Never a good thing. Thank you so much for being on Looking Up. The last thing that we do to close off is I get to give you a little piece of homework, which you get to take with you into your day. And it's basically, I just pull a card from my little baby. My things are looking up optimism deck of cards, Mm -hmm. which I don't know if I've sent you yet. No, but I've heard about it before. I need to send them to you. Okay. So if we were together, you would pick your own, but I'm just going to pick one out of random for you. All right. This one's yours. Mm -hmm. Think about a time you felt rejected or didn't quite get what you had hoped for. Now humor yourself and see if you can come up with three ways that you grew from it. You don't have to answer this now. You can take that with you into your day. But it's interesting because I feel like this question is kind of what, how we started. Well, it's, it's, I, I love failure. So like I look at all mistakes or all rejections and all failures as a positive because I've all grown exponentially from my my failures. And as you explained to me on the podcast, that it's mistakes, which we learn the most from, they make the biggest impact on our brain when it comes to change is when we've made a mistake. That's when we have our biggest learning opportunity. And so I, you know, I've never been embarrassed by failure. I grow from failure. I look at failure as like a part of me. It's a part of my DNA that makes me who I am now. And I think failure is noble and cool because it means you were try, willing to try when success wasn't guaranteed, which I think shows a tremendous lack of ego. I think the people with the most fragile egos are not the ones who put themselves out there, you know, who are painted as the egotistical narcissists. I actually think it's much more egotistical and narcissistic to not even try because you're so afraid of failure. Mm. And that's not to shame anyone. It's just to say, let's not shame those who actually put themselves out there. Let's all get stuck yeah. in and be vulnerable and try and and not take failure so seriously. Uh, I know a sex educator called, um, she's a, a trauma educator and sex educator called uh, Jiminika Eborn. And she gives classes to children about learning how to take rejection around the age of like four or five mm. years old. Because if you can teach children before the age of like sort of six and seven, how to understand yeah. that rejection isn't so bad because, you know, this plays right. into consent later down the line of how men in particular right. will respond to being said no to. And it won't be in a violent way Absolutely. where they won't want to like harm you or take something out on you. They'll just go like, oh, okay, this was not for you. I'm going to move on. Right. Um, and right. so how interesting, That's you know, so interesting. To, to realize that actually we have a really toxic relationship with failure and rejection that we need to Absolutely. address. Otherwise we're never going to learn anything. And that is like the hallmark of resiliency. Mm -hmm. So that's so interesting and actually so correct to be doing that work with kids that age because this is when, you know, stuff like we were talking about earlier, how we're born and and we're so open and we're not afraid to ask of what we need. We're not, you know, we don't have all these layers of of learned behavior and response and reaction. And so we we should really dive in and intervene in a proactive way to help prepare people for what they are going to experience as young adults and then into adulthood and give them the tools and resources to actually 
live better and treat their fellow humans better as well. And so I think that is so interesting. I'm going to look up her work. Thank you so much for being here. I can't wait to chat again. I love chatting with you. Likewise. I'll see you soon, I'm sure. And thank you so much see for you everything soon. you've taught me. On my podcast, you taught me about visualization, which I'd never tried before. Oh, And I told you I did and I that heard audition that you, yes. and it was the biggest audition of my life and I got it. So... Ah, thanks. I'm so I owe I'm, you dinner. I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> well, let's have a uh, safe and distanced dinner sometime soon yeah. or a masked walk. But yeah, love to. I I feel like something inside of me is saying we are definitely going to do more together. <laughs> I'm sure. So yeah, I can't wait. We'll fuck on together. Okay. All right. Yes. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Looking Up. For more optimistic content, follow me at Dr. Deepika Chopra. For more info and how to get your very own Things Are Looking Up Optimism deck of cards, head to thingsarelookingup.co. If you like what you hear and you want to support the show, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Our theme music is Me and Shaw Day by Tommy, courtesy of Terrible Records. I'm your host, Dr. Deepika Chopra, and I'll see you next Monday for your weekly dose of optimism.